This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and Caverns Deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to finally welcome you back to episode 696 of a two-headed nerd comic book podcast. I didn't think we were going to talk about new comics again, but here we are. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Baum, and AI is all the rage these days, kids. So I am proud to introduce M-A-C-H-O, better known as Macho, the AI that now runs the Ziggurat Computer Systems. Say hello, Macho. I am Michael Ruderus Algorithm for comics, headlines, and opinions. I'm your head number two, the internet's Joe Patrick. Matt, did it just say murderous? I thought it was supposed to be mechanized. You know, I, I've heard mechanized. I don't know. I'll have to go back and check. But, I mean, we can do that later. What's the worst that could happen, Joe Patrick? Uh, <laughs> I mean, this stuff we are deep, deep underground, so I guess it could be anything. In this episode... Like I mentioned, we're back to reviewing new comics from the last two Wednesdays. And after that, we are going to tell you nerds about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon THN Extra, where Matt and I will burn our fingers on some listener comic book hot takes. It's all happening in this oddly written AI episode, complete with bizarre non-sequiturs. And it starts with... The evaluation of sequential periodicals from the Step Pyramid? Joe, Jesus, day one. (laughs) Come on. We missed a couple of weeks there, but new comic reviews are back, and we've got a pile of 12 funny books with everything from a new Superman number one to a new Captain Britain. And if that's not enough, another new Superman number one. Joe, start us off with your first review from last Wednesday. New comic book, Wednesday, February 22nd. First up this week, it's Superman number one from DC. It's $4.99. It's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Jamal Campbell. Here's your solicit. Superman has returned to Metropolis and his greatest enemy, Lex Luthor, is finally behind bars. The future of the Superman family has never been brighter. As Clark Kent settles back into his life, iconic and new enemies erupt from the shadows to strike down the Man of Steel. But what is waiting in the wings to back up Big Blue is Supercorp? What secret project has Lex given to Superman? I totally called it. You did. A hero is only as good as their villains and will be... We think they're trying to say that the saying, quote, a hero is only as good as their villains, end quote, will be put to the test in this brand new oversized number one featuring comics greatest superhero by those guys I just mentioned. I think that's safe to assume that, right, man? Yeah. Don't yeah. You think? All right. It's just weirdly worded, but whatever. It is. It's <laughs> poorly, poorly phrased yeah. and um, formatted incorrectly. That's right. Joshua Williamson proves that he's absolutely the right choice to usher in Superman's new dawn in two pages, including a four panel origin recap right out of all-star Superman. Williamson reestablishes Clark Kent's status quo with some fun twists for his supporting cast and a game changing shakeup courtesy of Lex Luthor. Jamal Campbell is a superstar and I am beyond thrilled to have him on this high profile relaunch. The book is absolutely stunning from start to finish. The issue ends with a great tease for what's to come, and I couldn't be more excited. 
Superman number one is a perfect jumping on point for what's shaping up to be a really compelling new era for the Man of Steel, giving this a huge buy it. I think you need to take a, a bigger victory lap for calling your shot on this one because you're exactly right. I, t- as I, to what I was I was 100 percent right about <laughs> Supercorp. And also uh, that's what I'm going to say about great. that. It's so great because it's such a silly, stupid, like 80 Superman idea that Williamson yeah. pulls off perfectly. It's great. <laughs> like, well, I know. I'm, I'm very excited to see how that plays out. I'm super happy for Williamson, who has more than proved himself on The Flash and then the recent, you know, Infinite Dark, Dark Crisis, Crisis or whatever the hell it was. Dark, Dark Infinite- Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Infinite Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth. That's right. It, he's, he's perfect for this book. And this looks like it's going to be fun. It's bright. It's the big blue cheese, but they're doing it right. Super excited for more. I am on board. Give me more Josh Williamson and Jamal Campbell Superman. It is a buy it. Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. Of our time. I hereby serve notice that these walls, will you shut up, please? All right, take them away, boys. Let's start the day off with some Otherworld X-Men stuff, Joe. It's our favorite. We can't get enough of it. And guess what? Barf. We've taken the X out of the title. No more Excalibur, no more Knights of X. Now it's just Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain. Number one, it's from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Teeny Howard with art by Vasco Georgiev. Here's your solicit. The captain comes home! And she's got a whole new mission. With Otherworld settled, Braddock Manor restored, and her brother, Captain Avalon, at her side, you'd think things look pretty good for Betsy Braddock, only it turns out good old Britain doesn't want her back. No one wants a mutant menace carrying the shield of Captain Britain, and Betsy's made more than a few enemies along her way. Questless and countryless, Betsy must define a role for herself. That's going to become a theme. A fresh take on beloved character. Don't miss the latest Teeny Howard extravaganza and fan-favorite artist Vasco Georgiev's Marvel debut. If you're looking for an X title that isn't wrapped up in Sins of Sinister plotlines, I suppose you could look here, but if you, like me, stopped reading the most recent Excalibur and Knights of X stuff, then don't expect to know what's going on at all. And don't expect a primer that's going to be new reader friendly either. This may be a new status quo for Betsy, but it's still deeply steeped in otherworld BS, and it's so busy being cleverly British that unless you've been on board with Excalibur and Knights of X from issue one, you're going to be lost. Georgiev is a huge art talent, though, so the book looks incredible. The look of the comic fits in perfectly with a new hyper-stylish, action-packed, slick X-Men house style with artists like Pepe Larraz and Paco Medina. He's great, and he's going to be huge. I liked Howard's portrayal of Betsy as the defiant new Captain Britain that doesn't care what the snarky media thinks of her or her more popular brother, but this comic just felt so weighed down by weird otherworld minutia that it was almost impossible to care about. Betsy and Rachel are dating, which, whatever, I don't care about the lesbian aspect of it, but when the hell did that happen, you know? <laughs> I mean, it must happen at some point in Nights of I X. Guess either one of us read that book. It might land better for fans that have followed the whole Excalibur and Knights of X story, but I can't say Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain number one, is a good jumping on point, even with the return of some characters I love kind of feels like teeny howard is like trying to sell readers on these sort of like alan moore mystic british wackiness that we got in the old captain britain i just don't know if she has the chops to pull it off 
and it leaves the book feeling like it doesn't have much of an identity. Like I did like the whole aspect of people that were kind of down on her because that's exactly uh, how it would be. She's a representative of Krakoa, not a representative of England. Well, but like even beyond that, that, they'd be like the new Captain Britain's a woman. Like I I totally believe that. (laughs) But you know, I like, like that all, that all rang true to me. I was like, okay. Yeah. And you know, like I love that micro max was on like, England's shitty Fox News equivalent. Well, he's a radio shit. DJ. He's like a British. I love that it DJ, said DJ. Yeah. It said disc jockey. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like the parts of it, I liked, and I like Betsy being Captain Britain. I like the fact that Brian and Megan were still here. But all the stuff that I liked about Excalibur when it started, when it got started with Dawn of X, has been slowly leached from the book. Yeah. And so now there's nothing left that I really want to latch on to. Like, Betsy, great. Otherworld, no thanks. I don't like it. I don't care about it. Yeah. I Like, if I have to hear another goddamn word about the Furies and what Earth they're from and all of this lore that is not explained, I'm going to go so far as to say it's impenetrable. It was impenetrably. It is, it is relatively impenetrable. And uh, I'm giving this a leave it. I did not like it at all. I look forward to... George Eves' work in a future project. Attention, young blood team. Stand by for drop. Go, die hard. Chapel. As a couple of dudes that also peaked in the 90s, we can really relate to this next comic. It's Local Man number one from Image. It's 399. It's written by Tim Seeley with art by Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley. Here's your solicit. Stray Dogs creator Tony Fleeks teams with Revival's Tim Seeley for a series that combines rural crime noir and superhero action. Once the star recruit of the media sensation super team, young blood, I mean, third gen, Jack (laughs) Zaver had it all. But when controversy sends Cross Jack crawling back to his mom and dad's basement in the Midwest, Jack struggles to fit into a world he left far behind. And then the bodies start piling up. Each issue is a classic Image Comics flip book with a lead story drawn by Fleeks and a superhero flashback into the depths of the Image universe drawn by Seeley. First issue contains 30 pages of story for only $3.99. I think that flip book thing probably only works if you're buying it physically, but you know, you yeah. get it. Do you know how pissed off I would have been if I had to keep turning my iPad over and I my know. iPad was like, no, man, I got <laughs> this for you. Don't worry. Here, I'll flip. I was like, Stop! <laughs> Uh, Local Man number one is a loving but painfully self-aware homage to the earliest days of Image Comics. The modern day scenes follow a washed up former superhero named Jack Zaber, who is forced to move back to a hometown full of people that absolutely hate his guts. We only get the barest hint of what Jack did, but it scandalized the town in a huge way and led to him being prohibited from even coming close to any kind of heroics. I don't think it's just the town, though. I think it's like the oh, yeah, world no, everybody hates him. knows he's yeah, yeah, no, up. Everybody, everybody hates him. Yeah, he's because just famous he did in was like town. Because they were like, oh, yeah, that's our guy. Hometown guy, Crossjack. And then he screwed up. And they're like, boo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's different for him. <laughs> yeah. It's different for him at home because they all know him. Right. Unfortunately, that prohibition makes it a really bad time for a murder mystery to drop into his lap. Tony Fleeks illustrates the modern day scenes beautifully with Tim Seeley stepping in for the tales of Cross Jack's glory days. Seeley's scenes are wonderfully life healthy with butts and boobs and spikes and pouches galore. 
Even the book's design gets in on the act with a look straight out of 1992. You open that, you open that cover, and it is suddenly Savage Dragon number one from 1992 with that title page. Oh the yeah, image, it, the weird, the all white page with the image coming. Oh man, they even have the old school image info like letters box with Tim Seeley writing about the comic and everything. And, and yeah, right. Right below that is the green box with all the comics that would normally be coming out that week. But he's talking about like image comics by creators he loves in this one. It's great. Everything about local Man number one worked for me and I can't wait for more. It is a lot of fun, especially for those of us that lived through this era once already. I'm giving this a buy it. Th- this works perfectly with our question of the week where we're talking about like was there a 90s comic that 90s as hard as it possibly could with the pouches and the spikes and it was actually pretty good you know like this works so well with it because tim seeley is like in the back matter writes about going to his comic shop picking up young blood number one and not even like having a chance to ride his bike home he had to stop and he had to read it right there and he was like it was the coolest in reality it was pretty weak but the art was so cool <laughs> you know and they're just relishing in that this is a ton of fun it is a damn shame, though, that Rob Leefield lost the rights to Youngblood and they couldn't do this with Shaft and just straight up go. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean, like I guess Youngblood kicked <laughs> Shaft out, you know, because that's exactly what they're doing here. And it's great. It really is great. The front half, very believable, down to earth slice of life, you know, with a superhero twist. The back half, complete bonkers, 90s boobs, butts guns muscles blood it's great <laughs> Give this yeah a, buy it this is excellent god is dead and we have killed him the 90s are over joe i'm done talking about him okay get over it let's talk about godfell mm, number one okay i agree from vault it's 399 For now it's written by christopher sabella with art by ben hennessy and here's your solicit one sunny day in the land of carithium god falls dead from the sky, the impact sends out shockwaves that draw in royal families at war, shadowy creatures of the dark, and armies of the dispo- dispossessed, and armies of the dispossessed, all coming to lay claim to parts of God's body. Gross. Into this power struggle wanders Zanzi Vuilin. I V U I L I N E. Vuilin. That's what I'm going with. A soldier and berserker trying sure, to get home from a years long war. Forced to fight her way from the strange landscapes in and on God's corpse from the soles of its feet through the top of its head, Zanzi will acquire a mysterious traveling companion on her own pilgrimage. If you have been a fan of Barbaric at Vault, then you're in luck because there appears to be room for another bloodthirsty, axe-wielding anti-hero that you're gonna love. Sabella Zanzi is much more stoic than the maniacs in the pages of Barbaric, but just as rage-filled. The world Sabella lays out with his almost fable-like narration is sprawling and filled with different warring civilizations, but he never gets bogged down in the details and chooses instead to follow Zanzi on her return home as she's struggling with PTSD after years of living as a legendary killing machine in what seems to have been a pretty pointless war. Ben Hennessy's stripped-down blocky art is great in both the extremely violent action scenes and really quiet set pieces that establish the desolate desert settings. He is just excellent using space and scope to make Zanzi's world feel sprawling and the god that fell from the sky look absolutely massive. 
Narration can make a book a bit of a slog, but Sabella's writing and Hennessy's style make this book feel like the beginning of a legendary fantasy that looks like it's going to take place inside of God's corpse. And I'm going to tell you, fantasy might not get higher concept than that. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a fantasy. We only find them when they're dead. Kind of. You know, instead of like harvesting them for parts in space, we're harvesting their parts, you know, in the plains of whatever, uh, you know, and like setting up shop inside their intestines and shit. Like, Gross. I I know. That's where the poop is, Joe. (laughs) That's where all that's it's gold mine. Gold mine, man. Gross. Maybe for you, sicko. Yeah, I mean, this is the the art is great. First of all, uh, Sabella is excellent at world building, and he's doing his typical wonderful job here. Uh, it does have a lot of narration. There's and a lot of narration. For a guy like me who doesn't hate fantasy, but also doesn't typically gravitate towards it, it was kind of tough. However, I really enjoyed this. I, again, the art is is gorgeous yeah i think and i think he's I think, going for a bit of a robert e howard kind of thing where like there was that narrator sure. that uh, told maybe. the tales of conan and like set everything up it, it that's kind of what it felt yeah, like to me. i mean it feels very much like I, I i mean that's like game of thrones is the same way it's like you know how the house stock sat on the precipice of war right? like that's all yeah it's very very high fantasy in tone uh i'm giving this a buy it I think the concept is just it's great. Bonkers. It's great. I love it. I got a timely one here, Matt. There's a lot of UAPs in the news these days. And we decided that was unidentified anal probe, right? So that's unidentified uh, anal probe. Sure. I mean, <laughs> right. I'm pretty uh, sure. Dep- it I'm pretty sure. Let me Google that real quick. Yeah, sure. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, my next review could only be Blue Book number one from Dark Horse. It's $4.99. It's written by James Tinian IV with art by Michael Avon Oming and Klaus Jansen. Here's your solicit. From the New York Times bestselling and award-winning co-creators of Something is Killing the Children, The Nice House on the Lake, The Department of Truth, and Powers and also Klaus Jansen, comes this ambitious nonfiction comic book experience depicting true stories of UFO abductions with an eye to capturing the strange essence of those encounters. No offense to Klaus Jansen, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't have anything to do with those comics that they, that they listed just then. No offense, Klaus. <laughs> yeah. You are also cool. You are a legend, and we've talked a lot of smack about you on the show. But you're well, a legend. But, you know what? I'm about to I'm a, look, I'm about to blow a skirt up. So All let's right. let's All get right. on. Let's get into it. In this debut issue, Tinian presents what he calls his quote unquote true weird stories. Tales of ordinary people encountering the strange and the impossible. Teaming with artist Michael Avon Oming, they retell some of the most popular UFO and alien encounter accounts, starting with the infamous. Betty and Barney Hill abduction, the widely publicized and the very first abduction that went on to shape and influence all future encounter stories. This also includes the short true weird colon Coney Island by James Tinian, the fourth Claus Jansen and Aditya Bidikar. It's throwing me off. This solicit is 
it's putting quotes around the story titles, but only the end quotation mark, I know. not the beginning quotation mark. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what? Wait a minute. Yeah. Everybody laid off their copy editors, I guess. You know? <laughs> it's so, true. Tough times, is, Joe. You know what? A lot of layoffs. <laughs> this, epi- this episode is lousy with very poorly formatted yeah. sentences. Blue Book presents a pretty faithful retelling of quote unquote true reports of alien encounters. And by true, I mean, these are actual reports. But with an expanded focus on the horror and wonder of those experiences. In that, the first issue is a success, though it tends to drag on a bit as Betty and Barney Hill spend almost all of their pages trying to figure out what exactly is following them. It's like, Barney, pull over the car. You got to look at this. And then three pages later, it's like, no, Barney, pull over the car yeah, again. I'm not pulling I mean, over. I'm, no, I got to go. Kidding. I, you got to look at I'm, this. It's just kids or something. I'm not pulling over. It, uh, <laughs> co- combine that with the fact that the Barney and Betty Hill story is like the most retold alien abduction story of all right. time. And so, you know, if you're familiar with it, it might not really be that interesting. However, it's very stylish. The second story has a completely different tone, relaying a couple of strange events that occurred on Coney Island near the turn of the 20th century, but it has a sense of wonder to it rather than creeping horror. The art in both stories is beautiful. Michael Avon Oming washes the hill's eerie nighttime drive with a monochrome blue with a sudden jarring flash of color when you least expect it. Claus Jansen, as Matt said, a man who I have criticized harshly on many occasions on this podcast. I'm sorry. It is what it is, but he delivers some black and white art that is wonderfully packed with detail, giving depth and shading with grayscale dot patterns. Blue book. Number one is a gorgeous comic with a tricky mission. Retelling real life reports of strange phenomena could come off a bit dry, but there was enough here to keep me interested. I'm giving this a buy it. Okay, this is tough for me because I love this stuff. I am a diehard skeptic, but I also love conspiracy theories. I love UFO stories. I love, you know, weird cryptids and all that stuff. I also love Michael Avon Oming. Michael Avon Oming is like one of my probably top 20 favorite artists. I love that guy. What he did here was good. Like it's a good retelling of that Betty and Barney Hill story. But it's also not what I come to see him do. And I found it a little boring, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but the art is good. It's good. There's nothing bad about it. But like you said, it's just two people in a car going, what is that? What is that? What is right. That? And then and until then, until it suddenly isn't. And then right? we get one shot of what it is. And you're like, I, yeah, that's cool. And it's very well done. I just found it kind of boring. Honestly. No, I get it. it it's it, it's a lot of lead up for what is yeah. ultimately very little payoff yes. at the end of that first story. And like their story is compelling and truly terrifying. Like if you don't know it, look into it. It's a great story. There's been a couple great books written about it i just don't know if this worked so well in comic book form like the adaptation is what i sure. had a, an issue with the second mm. story super weird and it's directly from like a news story that actually ran in the new york times and yep. nobody really knows what it was because there aren't any actual witnesses and stuff and it's written kind of tongue-in-cheek so they were think- there were no instant cameras yeah I mean, what are they you think do? they were making fun of this preacher or something like that that was like a gymnastic preacher that Stole a bunch of money from his church. Nobody really knows. 
so like it's an interesting story but again i was when it was done i was like okay thanks <laughs> See, Look, i'm giving know, this a but, skim it because i think it's they do a perfectly good job of doing what they're doing i just don't know if this adaptation works for me so I, it was kind of boring i totally get it i understand and i have no like no arguments with anything you said uh for me personally the second story i liked a lot because all of that stuff about the Coney Island elephant hotel. The second story had a way more heart. Like, I will say that. That was, but like, that was all like, I didn't know any of that shit. Real <laughs> and stuff. It, it, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I thought Klaus Jansen as a solo artist on, on that story did an, uh, an exceptional job. It looked great. With the environments and the, and the, and the, and the backdrop, the idea, the premise of blue book itself. It's tough. I just don't think they leaned hard enough into the dramatic retelling. It, it, it needed to play up more of like, I don't need the dry, like this is what happened. I need more of like the embellished. Well, you, yeah. Give you, me the horror of it. You can't do a documentary in a comic book, obviously, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can, but yeah, you, you can, I, but it's going to be weird. I think they could have leaned into the, I think they need to lean more into the high concept. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I get it though. They picked a tough one to go with. I, if anything, did. I will give both these, all these creators credit. Like this is hard and they're challenging themselves. I just needed a little more interesting. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so That is fair. I liked it a little bit more, but I get it. You know what separates the freaks from the normals? Just one rotten day. Have had a really rotten day, Batman? Now here's something you can, I can sink my teeth into. Oh, Batman, one bad day, Clayface. Not that I don't want to bite him because he looks like gross and i bet he's filthy right clayface is dirty as hell right oh he's full of <laughs> all sorts of detritus <laughs> that he has picked up it's from just DC. moving around it's yeah. 7.99 it's written by colin kelly and jackson lansing with art little bones in there with you know? art by hermenico here's your solicit i think clayface is probably at least one percent poop okay You've, you've had just from too. walking around. You got you have too many poop references today. People are going to start to wonder about you. Okay. <laughs> right. It's a gold mine, Matt. It's a gold mine. All Basil Carlo ever wanted was to be an actor. No, one of the greatest actors there's ever been. However, his life went off course when he became the shape shifting monster known as Clayface. Every first letter of every word is capitalized in the solicit. What is going on? <laughs> is somebody, uh, what the somebody, hell? <laughs> I tell you, somebody typed this solicit in a note on their phone, emailed it to themselves, pasted it into a Word document, and selected capitalize. Good. God. And there is no good option for capitalize in Word. It's just like every word or. Good Lord. Yeah, it's every word or all caps. And there are no copy editing solicit writers out there. <laughs> They've None. all been laid I, off. But yeah, this looks like something somebody accidentally forgot to capitalize Good and then Lord. made the computer do it. it yeah. It's so hard to read when I'm looking at it. I feel it's like going bizarre. insane. All right, solicit continues. After years of doing battle with Batman in Gotham City and distancing himself from his dream, Clayface goes out west to Los Angeles, creating a new identity. He pursues his dream of acting only to find that Gotham City isn't the only place with an overwhelming sense of dread to it. You don't have to add the to it. Just leave it as dread <laughs> and that he might not have what it takes to make it in the city of angels. So he'll reshape the city to fit his needs in a deadly pursuit of stardom. 
DC saved my favorite bat villain for second to last, and it was worth the wait. Lansing and Kelly not only understood the assignment here, but they dive very deep into what makes Basil Carlo the villain that he doesn't know that he is. The Hollywood backdrop is a perfect setting for this deconstruction of Clayface, complete with script notes and young desperate actors trying to succeed in a movie meat grinder more concerned with franchise tags than art. Both these writers have obviously had real-world experience with the Hollywood machine because the script is just so damn believable. I actually found myself feeling sorry for Carlo at one point until Batman shows up and really gently reminds the reader, Clayface is a villain, not a victim suffering for his art. (laughs) Hermanico is just always amazing, but his Clayface is one of the best I have seen. Yeah. He draws Basil Carlo as a mountain of raging mud that the other personas he becomes melt into as that rage boils to the surface. There's a one-page spread of Clayface killing a Hollywood exec that is simply breathtaking. It's just speed lines, and it looks like a landslide destroying a man's upper body. I need a little distance before I say it for sure. But not only has this creative team possibly put out the best One Bad Day entry, this might be the best Clayface story I've ever read. I'm giving this the biggest buy it I can possibly give it. I I do agree that you never, uh, and that's what's great about this installment of One Bad Day. You know, uh, this is what's great about all of the One Bad Day installments that are good and not boring or stupid. You never forget for a second who we're dealing with, but you still sympathize with their plight. Exactly. Like, I think the closest thing, I mean, Catwoman, you can make an argument for, you know, Catwoman is an anti-hero, whatever, whatever. Uh, she's not truly a villain, but uh, even the penguin one, which I loved was about penguin coming back to reclaim his crime empire. Yeah. And uh, you know, the Mr. Freeze one, even though it was, he just wanted some time to help cure his wife. He's still being Mr. Freeze. Yeah. The closest one, the one that came closest to like, this guy has actually put his villainy behind him and is a changed man was the Bane one. Right. This one, though, it's just like this is horrific monster is trying so hard to make a life for himself. Right. By the time the inevitable rolls around, like, obviously it can't happen. It's just like a punch in the gut. And it's not too much. It's like this slow motion, just like blimp crash. (laughs) Right. No, exactly. Right. And it. uh, so I will agree with you that I don't um, I don't know if I'm going to say it's the best one bad day story because I still really, really love that. Mr. Freeze. I do, too. And I I want some distance. I'm just saying I do. I I do think that was like, wow, I do think that I do think that this is the best Clayface story I've ever read. Yeah. Amazing. And you just I'm giving agreed. it a huge, a huge buy. And you huge just agreed bite. with me on all my points, <laughs> by the way. Well, no, I kind of, maybe I disagreed with how you presented it. Okay. New comic Wednesday, March 1st. Humans are made to meet. Those sweet, sweet robotic tones means it's time for this week's reviews, starting with Human Target number 12 from DC. It's $4.99. It's written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. Here's your solicit. Christopher Chance has spent the last 12 days trying to solve his own murder with the list of suspects comprising the Justice League International. Did a hero really attempt to kill Lex Luthor? 
could the human target have miscalculated? Is it too late to save his life? You know what? I really appreciate this solicit because it's succinct. It doesn't spoil anything that's not already central to the plot. And there's none of that bullshit at the end where it's like the conclusion of the year long epic by award winning, blah, blah. It's hundred just, bucks says Tom King wrote it. Bing, bang, boom. <laughs> right. There's no nonsense. Tom in King I, wrote this solicit. I'll bet you. Great any. job, Tom. Great job. Well, after more than a year of wondering how Christopher Chance was going to cheat death once again, Tom King wraps up his tale in a way I didn't really expect. This issue is primarily spent showing how ICE deals with the events of the past 12 days, leading to a satisfying conclusion that feels fitting if you can set aside King's tendency to cherry pick the personality traits of the characters that he's writing. Look, I don't buy for one second that Ice is going to do any of the stuff that she does in this comic, except for fall in love. Okay. Oh, I'll wait. I'll wait. You know what I mean? I, okay. I'll yeah, wait. we can talk about it at the end. Do the actions carried out in this series make any sense at all coming from the cast of Justice League International? Absolutely not. But it also fits into its own Tom King shaped version of the DCU. That's where I was going to go. And it, and it works in that regard. So who cares? Greg Smallwood's typically stellar work is a little off in this issue, just a little, with some moments feeling rushed or incomplete. I, I wonder if he maybe run up, run up against the deadline. The book's already late. It's still incredibly beautiful, however. It took a while to get here, but Human Target number 12 is a great payoff to Christopher Chance's latest adventure. I'm giving this a buy it. I agree. The art definitely, like, if you look at the first six issues, and I would argue, look at the last six issues, you can see not like problems. I don't want to say that, but you can see like, all right, we'll give you a break to finish stuff, but you got to get it finished by this date. And you can tell he rushed a little bit. Yeah. Like I'm not going to like, I only ever noticed it in this issue. And even then it wasn't until like halfway through, I was like, oh, these don't, these panels don't look as good. Yeah. I'm not taking yeah. anything away from the guy. He's a master. This book looks incredible. So the ice thing. I agree, but I also think this is probably the most interesting thing that I've ever read with ice in it. So I don't well, care. Well, I mean, sure. <laughs> it, look, my bottom line is my bottom line is that if we're just going to go ahead and assume for our own mental health that 90% of the things Tom King writes from now on are not meant to be in continuity, yeah, then, it, then go fine. for it, man. I don't care. It's fine. You know, and that was our biggest problem with the Batman stuff, because we got to a point where it's like, this cannot be in continuity. Then they took it out of continuity. and we We're like, I don't want to read this. <laughs> yeah. And like the less said about Batman, Cat yeah. Catwoman, the better. Strange Adventures ended up with Adam Strange, the war criminal. Like there's all sorts I really like Strange Adventures, though. And again, yeah, yeah. like it was there's one of the most in, in, like interesting things that they've done with Adam Strange. And if we have to do it in this in this little Tom King verse, whatever, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with it being in its own Tom King verse. I yeah. loved this. I'm giving it a buy it. I think it's going to make a super sexy omnibus when it's all put together. This was fantastic. And I will take more of this. Buy it. I, I, I will say that between this and uh, Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow from last year, Tom King is on the way up after me being super disappointed. In he's on a roll. He's done, he is so. on a series. He's on a roll. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Next up, we get a comic that is truly loaded up and trucking. 
Let's talk about Phantom Road, number one from Images 399. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Gabriel H. Walta. Here is your solicit. And as Image likes to do, they want us to know it is a series premiere. Dom is a long haul truck driver attempting to stay ahead of his tragic past when he stops one night to assist Birdie, who's been in a massive car crash. They pull an artifact from the wreckage that throws their lives into fifth gear. Suddenly, a typical midnight run has become a frantic journey through a surreal world where Dom and Birdie find themselves a quarry of strange and impossible monsters. It's Grindhouse Horror, meeting high-concept supernatural fantasy in the first issue of a bold new series from Jeff Lemire, who worked on The Bone Orchard. This is not part of The Bone Orchard. We did our homework. I mean, I guess it could be, but it, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it is. The Bone Orchard Mythos and Little Monsters and Gabriel Hernandez Walta, who worked on The Vision, Hellboy and the BPRD Old Man Whittier, the Eisner Award nominated creative team behind the best-selling Sentient series. When I see Lemire's name on a comic, I've come to expect either a slow burn story with mind-bending twists and turns paired with very heavy emotional issues. So... When I opened this comic, and five minutes later I put it down, I had to look at the cover again. Yep, Lemire wrote this one, but the story moves so fast, it's got to be the quickest Lemire read that I've encountered. That is not a fault, mind you. Just a bit of a departure. His story is still mind-bending, and by the end the reader is just as confused as the two main characters, but Lemire still managed to spend one page setting up Dom's life that establishes him as a very complicated man in a truly strange and action-packed situation. Walta is an amazing artist that I don't see enough of. He's got a scratchy line and bulky style, but he's able to put so much realism and emotion in his panels. Walta's characters tell stories with their faces, and with just a glance, you can instantly tell, oh, that guy's a shifty drug dealer, or that guy is a pervert in dirty truck stop bathroom. <laughs> but he really shines when he gets to the incident on the road where Dom meets Birdie. Phantom Road is a very quick read, and it might be a departure from Lemire's style, but paired with Walt's excellent art, it grabs the reader by the shirt and pulls them into a violent story in a bizarre world. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I loved this comic, like, a lot. And I kind of agree the not the tone, the pace, the pace, the pace, the pace of it is kind of different than what I'm used to from Lemire. But it does still have those moments of quiet introspection. You yeah. know, we see Dom driving the, the his rig and then it's a view from Dom's point of view and we see his reflection on the inside of the windshield and then suddenly the reflection changes to him as a boy. And yeah. suddenly we understand that like, Oh, he's thinking of his past, you know, it's things like that. Like th those little things indicate the shift in, in story. And it's, Oh man, it's so well done. And yet, uh, and so emotional and yet still fast paced and action packed. It's, it's nuts. Uh, like I've never seen anything like this from Amir. This is a huge buy at, Absolutely check it out. I, I was already excited for this, but I didn't know what to expect. I'm on board 100%. Oh, and I, I agree. Gabriel Hernandez-Walta is just one of this generation's all-time greats. And I like, love him. Working with more black than I've ever seen him work with here, like panels that are just like barely little scratches of color in them. It's really good. Look like I keep you waiting too long. 
Or maybe you just want me to wake you up with a kiss. What in the world? And now it's the moment Matt Bomb has been waiting for for an entire week. Let me tell you. It's our chance to talk about his favorite X-Men couple. Rogan Gambit, number one. Number one with a bullet. <laughs> with a bullet from Marvel. It's $3.99. It's written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Carlos E. Gomez. Not to be confused with the other. Carlos B. Gomez. Yeah. Carlos B. Carlos B. Gomez. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's cousin. Because <laughs> as we established, yeah. if you have a similar name, you are definitely yeah, related. Yeah. Here's your solicit. Destiny Strikes, your favorite X-Men duo. Krakoa is on a precipice. Destiny alone can see what's coming, but the precog cannot act. Can she ever, though? For that, she'll need her adoptive daughter, Rogue. Husbands need not apply. (laughs) But with mutant duties stealing Rogue away so much these days, Gambit is determined to make the most of the mission and put some Cajun spice back into their increasingly complicated love affair. Gross. He just has to make it out of the bar first. (laughs) because <laughs> he's a drunk powerhouse writer stephanie phillips you know her from harley quinn wonder woman and millie the spy joins fan favorite artist carlos gomez of exterminators and amazing spider-man fame for a thrill ride that'll lay bare some of krakoa's biggest secrets now i know matt and i disagree on this point and that's fine but i quite enjoyed the previous titles starring rogan gambit uh, there was the first volume of Rogan Gamut, followed by Mr. and Mrs. X. No, I acknowledge and those were good. This all that all was over before Krakoa, so right. I, I've put it all out of my mind. Right. And this first issue does have a few positive things going for it, specifically the subplot that the couple are struggling to reconnect after Rogue's tenure with the X-Men field team. Gambit was uh, running around with Excalibur or the Knights of X which was a duty that he also didn't really care for. His wife was in the big time field team. And so it's led to some friction. And there's also some nice art from Carlos Gomez, who I really enjoy. He's good. But it also struggles to justify its own purpose. It's not that the main plot about missing supervillains isn't interesting. And I do love the inclusion of former secret warrior Eden Fessy, a.k.a. Manifold, But Rogue and Gambit have no real reason to go along with it other than a vaguer than usual warning from Destiny. In fact, the cast themselves call out the flimsiness of that motivation more than once. She literally just says, you got to trust me. And they go, right. Okay. I don't know if we should. And then, (laughs) and then Manifold does it. And then Manifold's like, no, I'm not doing that. The whole thing just feels kind of paint by numbers including the appearance by matt's favorite the thieves guild it's like oh that's a gambit comic gotta throw the thieves guild in there rogue and gambit number one is fine it's okay even but it's also pretty unremarkable it's a skim it for me i found this to be mediocre at best this just feels rudderless this there's yeah like like it has no point it feels like there's no point no reason for this team to be together and we've got so many x books running right now like, there's no reason for this book to exist. There was a time where Krakoa had, like, one X team that was doing this, another X team that was doing this. Everybody had jobs, and those jobs made sense. Okay, I get why this team is together. There's literally no reason for this team to be together other than book with Rogue and Gambit. And if you want to do that, just do a book with Rogue and Gambit. Don't force it. Just do it. I find it hard to believe 
that Stephanie Phillips came to the X editors and went, I've got this idea for this X team with Rogan Gambit, you know, looking for missing supervillains. And they're like, great. How's it get thrown together? She's like, I don't know. Destiny tells them they have to do it. They go, write it up, do it. You know, like there's nothing compelling here. The art is good. I wanted to give it a leave it, but it's not. A well, com- that's the shit. It's not. It's not, it's not a bad fear. at all. No, this is the yeah. this is the Taco Bell of Mexican food. It's perfectly yeah, acceptable. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah. It cannot, if you're hungry, yeah. you can eat it and be fine. It cannot offend, but you are not going to walk away and be like, "That kicked ass." Give I me mean, more of it that. It can offend. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. It's built not to offend, if you will, right? And sure, this is a skimmit. This is the definition of a skimmit. It's just mediocre, right. X Men. It's, it's just. Yeah, it's pretty art. It is a it is a comic book. <laughs> Mediocre X Men. <laughs> yeah. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Joe, I dare you to tell me this next book is not a cash grab. Shazam! Exclamation point! Fury of the Gods! Colon! Special! Colon! Shazamily matters! <laughs> Boy, I hate that really wow. a whole lot. Shazamily, I hate that, I yeah. hate that a, very much. And, and three colons and two colons in one title. Come on, I'm you guys. I'm not even sure if that's allowed. Two colons? I, know, I don't know right? if you can do that. It's from DC. It is $9.99. It is written by Zachary Levi and the entire cast of Shazam Fury of the Gods. Don't worry. They paired them up with tag team comic book writers as well. Here is your solicit. Written by Zachary Levi, Grace Carolyn Curry, Ross Butler, DJ Cortona, Adam Brody, Faith Herman, Henry Gaden, Colin Duran, Josh Trujillo, Tim Seeley, and others. This 96-page giant feature story starring all of your favorite Shazam characters is written by the actors who play them. Actor Zachary Levi takes the reins on writing Shazam. And Adam Brody, Ross Butler, DJ Cortona, Grace Carolyn Curry, and Faith Herman, who we just named, wield the mighty pen for their shazam superheroes. Battle zombies, befriend dinosaurs, try to get a phone signal in the world of barbarians, explore Glitterland, and more. Just in time for the release of the brand new feature film, Shazam! Cash grab. Fury of the Gods! They couldn't couldn't get Helen Mirren to co-write a story? Apparently not. Made with all the love and fun of a superhuman family cookout, Joe. (sighs) I can already tell where where this is going. Making a successful movie tie-in one-shot is not an easy job, and I feel for all the creators that had to tag-team with the actors that worked on this $10 comic book. That said, the most successful movie tie-in comics I have read set up some type of prequel story that the reader could take with them to the film, feeling like they had a little more insight than other viewers. In fact, I would argue That is the one thing a movie tie-in comic should do to be successful. I suppose you could also argue that it could serve just to get the reader excited to see the film. There's that. The Shazamily special fails in both these tasks and instead goes the route of feel-good anthology with several cute stories featuring different members of the movie Shazam family with some good art by Erica Henderson, Jorge Corona, Scott Collins, and Scott Godlewski. But that's about it. To be fair, the final story by Henry Gaden and Godlewski, it isn't bad. And it says it's continued in the Fury of the Gods movie, but it certainly doesn't feel like it's setting up anything that you need to know. 
The Shazamly special is written for a younger audience, but I can't even see kids thinking that this is funny. It comes off as adult cute, and even rabid fans of the first film may regret spending 10 bucks on what is essentially a cash grab anthology. I'm giving this a leave it. There is no reason to read this comic book. <laughs> okay, all right. There isn't. All marketing, baby. It is the marketing machine in action. Oh, yeah. And I was cynical about this as well. First of all, Zachary Levi's on my shit list because of his boneheaded comments. But also, this is a $10 comic that is so long. It's so, so long. Yeah. And then I read it and I thought, oh, you know what? That last story was bad, but. The story drawn by Erica Henderson about Darla in the make-believe world is pretty cute. I kind of liked it. And then I read some more and I was like, oh, you know what? I actually kind of like this Pedro story that was drawn by uh, Jorge Corona, who I love. And so when it was all over, I was like, you know what? I actually did like some of these stories. Did I dislike some of them? Yeah, enough for me to say that this is a skim it. But it's not the train wreck I was expecting. I'm not saying it's a train wreck. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was pointless, and I did not like cute at best. It was not well, sure. Funny. But I mean, it was not needed. It was not. It doesn't take place in DCU, so don't worry about any of that. There's a two part, like three page story that leads into something that I assume is the first scene of the new movie, maybe. But like, who cares? Ten bucks. I get it. Does it exist for any reason other than to get people to spend money on something because they like the Shazam movie? No. Did it have things in it that are enjoyable? Yes. To me, that is a skim it. I personally wouldn't want to pay $10 for it, but I liked enough of it so I, for me to say, like, look, man, judge it for yourself. That's a skim it. Fair enough. I'm a ghost. And I'm after Kids who fuss and fight and never their necks at night. My final review of the week goes to Dead Fellows, number one from Scout Comics. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Cody Hamilton with art by Ramiro Borallo. Here's your solicit. Pete Miller has just gotten out of his two-year relationship, reeling from the chaos of it all without friends or family around. As he moves into his new, awful one-bedroom apartment, Pete attempts to take his own life but is stopped by a benevolent ghost. Moved by the kindness of this supernatural stranger, Pete sets out to bond with this ghost at all costs, but he quickly learns he does not understand the paranormal or their intentions. I love that solicit. It's a great elevator pitch. Yeah. Right off the bat, Hamilton and Buralo hooked me with their premise. Ghosts don't want you around. Not because of some supernatural compulsion, but because having a bunch of permanent roommates sucks, especially with a living one getting in the way of their good time. In this world, ghosts can watch TV, they can touch stuff or whatever. If they've got a living around, forcing them to watch reality television nonstop, it's a drag. And if they commit suicide in the apartment, well, good luck. You're stuck with them for eternity. <laughs> Hamilton's script leans pretty heavily on Pete's shitty life. 
He obsesses over the recent end of a toxic relationship, is estranged from his friends that hated his former girlfriend, and now he's stuck renting a shithole apartment from a skeevy landlord. It takes a while to get there, but things kick into high gear when he discovers that his apartment is haunted. We get a bit of comic relief from the clueless dude bro landlord who is just like stereotypical, like insufferable misogynist dude that like his favorite movie is the boondock saints, you know, all this nonsense. We also get a trigger happy priest. That's just itching to do an exorcism that I thought was kind of funny. Baralo's art is pretty interesting. It's exaggerated in a really nice way, which lends itself well to the bonkers plot. Dead fellows. Number one sets up an interesting premise and offers some genuine laughs and dynamic art. It may stretch on a little bit longer than it needs to. It's, I think, you know, part of its appeal was supposed to be that it's like extra length for the same amount of price. It didn't need to have the extra length. It didn't. But I did have a lot of fun with it. I'm giving it a buy it. This reminded me of what Kevin Smith could do if he would dial things back a little bit. He's clever. Sure. It's well written. There's a shitload of like nerd reference, nerd reference, nerd reference. And then after a while, I was like, I get it. Guy's a nerd. Got it. It it was, it went on a little too long. I agree. And yeah. I think it just needed a little editing and they would have right. a very good story here. The plot is good. It's well-written. I like the art. Like the art is cartoony and fun. It just needs a little editing, in my opinion. I'm going to give this a yep. high skim it because I liked it. But at the same time, and I'm trying to say this as someone who is not a comic book creator and I don't insult anyone. That's not what I'm doing at all. It just needs a little more polishing. I'll say that. It needs a little more polish. And this would be yeah, a Yeah, that's buy. fair. I think that's a, f- a fair statement. A little more you know, polish. Um, you got to buy it. Strong one, too. All right. We're done talking about ghosts. I want to talk about the Cosmic Ghost Rider. This is Cosmic Ghost I'm done Rider. talking about ghosts. I want to talk about ghosts. Let's <laughs> get into it. Cosmic Ghost Rider, number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Juan Cabal and Jonas Schraff. Here is your solicit. Scharf. 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 C-H-A-R-F. And Jonas. With art by Juan Cabal and Jonas Scharf. Here's your solicit. Vengeance reawakened! In a far-flung corner of deep space, Frank Castle has eked out a quiet existence. His days as the cosmic ghostwriter finally behind him, but across the universe, a vicious bounty hunter is leaving a trail of bodies in his wake, and his name is Cosmic Ghostwriter? Question mark? When Frank's peaceful existence is shattered, he must suit up once more and face his most savage enemy yet, himself! Be there for the start of a sprawling space adventure with shocking twists and turns in the saga of the Cosmic Ghost Rider. The Cosmic Ghost Rider gets his own series because somebody demanded it. I'm kidding. I had a brief love affair with the character as well. I mean, you know. He was fun when he was hanging with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I liked him when he popped up in other cosmic stories too. It was fun when he was, you know, working for Galactus as one of his... uh, His origin is so weird. It's great. It's it's wacky. Yeah, it's weird in a wonderful way. It was meant to be wacky and silly and he stuck around just a little too long where now he's like, nope, he's firmly in continuity. Deal with it. (laughs) So, (laughs) And he's got like actual character. He doesn't just show up and it's like, oh shit, it's Cosmic Ghost Rider. And he's weird and wacky. It's like, no, now we've got to learn stuff about him. Okay. 
I guess this takes place in the future because they have established that this is the. I fr- have no idea. That's just it. This is the Frank we know. They he full on said, "I was a soldier. I was a cop. My family got killed." It's Frank. Frank is, but the Frank that we know is still going through a ninja phase in his monthly book. See our recent Cosmic Short Box Patreon extra for more on that. Well, what? I mean, it's the Frank of the future, but I don't know if he's currently in the future. That's just it. That makes sense. I don't yeah. know. And like he came back from the future to do Guardian stuff in the present. Right. So is he in the 21st century? Maybe. <laughs> That's the thing. When Donnie Cates came up with this, it was just supposed to be fun and probably throwaway. And Marvel's like, Dude. yeah, it's supposed to be a. It's supposed to be a weird version of the Punisher that carries right. th- a baby Thanos around in a baby Bjorn on his chest. But in true Marvel fashion, they're like, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Right. So. And now because this all takes place on an alien planet, I have no idea when or how it's where it takes place, when it takes place, how it's connected. I have no idea. And they definitely don't set that up in this book either. They do not. Juan Cabal is very solid on art. He's turning into everything we had hoped John Cassidy would be with a very realistic style that's strong in both motion and the emotion of his characters. But his backgrounds here are a little sparse. The backup story looked a little muddy. This could be due to coloring. I'm not really sure. I don't know that artist. It's not bad, but it's definitely not as clean as the first story. The creators have set up a mystery centering on the identity of the second cosmic ghost rider. I'm not sure when that's the, another thing that was unclear to me. Right. I'm, well, they spell it out in the solicit. So I'm not sure when the real one gained the ability to turn back into old man, Frank or why right. or when and why he started referring to himself as the cosmic ghost rider, which I guess insinuates there's still a ghost rider on earth, but whatever that didn't detract from I, this story. I don't think I don't think we're meant to dis, d- decipher this. You can't it is think about it too right hard. Now. You can't think about ba- it too based hard. on this one comic. It is impossible. Yeah, the backup was fine, but it really didn't add much. So I guess that left me to decide if I want to come back for the shorter main story with the mystery of who is the second cosmic ghost writer. I guess the answer is maybe, but. <laughs> I could also easily just let the cosmic ghostwriter fly into the cosmic sunset. I am giving this a skim it. (laughs) Like you can't think about this too hard. If you want to enjoy it, you just can't. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's a skim it for me as well. I just want to get that out out of the way right off the, right off the top. Uh, I also agree. The art by Juan Cabal. Fantastic. I, I love that guy. He's great. I think he's awesome. Now I will say this. You look at the cover and Cosmic Ghost Rider's got this sleek kind of black outfit with accents of red and you know, the flaming, uh, or no, the um, like contained bubble helmet thing. That's the, like, I lo- that's the I Frank love we the, know. Is, that is the I love Frank the design of the Cosmic Ghost Rider, but yeah. the Cosmic Ghost Rider in the lead story that is Old Man Frank, he looks different first of all his flaming head is exposed which is whatever okay but his You're costume confused. is also that's not frank that's the duplicate cosmic ghost rider that is the what mystery the what yes but we don't see frank is not ever oh my the cosmic God. ghost rider in frank this was, comic i thought frank was dreaming i'll give you that because you it goes from it goes straight into frank waking up new ghost rider going blam 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 and then frank wakes up and I think they want you to believe, like, well, there's something weird going on with Frank, right? I, I just, this just kind of goes to how 
it's so complex in how it weaves the two together that I really thought I was looking at the same guy at different times in his life. Because they're, I also didn't read the solicit. But they're doing that on purpose because I understand. she's trying to insinuate they're seeing stuff through each other's eyes, too. Sure. And I get so. that. I get that now that you've read the solicit out loud. Yeah. And also the also the next issue blurb at the end kind of gives it away, like talks about it. Right. But if you read this comic without the reading the solicit, you, there's no indication that you're reading about two different people. 100 percent. I 100 percent agree. And so it's very <laughs> intentionally, I suppose obtuse it's convoluted and you know if that was their goal to get me mixed up then they did it um the art is astonishing i i love one cabal i love this cad bane looking bounty hunter guy with the with the wide brimmed hat and very cad bane and and the six guns it's it's so cool in the trench coat i want to see more of that dude the next issue's got monarch star stalker in it that weird bounty hunter guy from the 70s and 80s from like i think he's from epic or something he's got the bird and a cape like jared's gonna freak the second story i agree the art is different it's a little bit more it's a little grittier yeah but um you know it's fine um i liked this you know i was gonna give it a skim it but now that i kind of am on board with the premise I'm giving it a buy it. Well, let's talk about that for real quickly because you weren't on board with the premise. You were full on confused as to what happened until I guided you back through the solicit, which same thing happened to me. I read this. I wrote a review. I was mad. And I, I was like this. I don't know what the hell they're trying to do. Blow skim it borderline. Leave it. Then I plugged the solicit in and went, huh? And I read it again and went, Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. So I don't I mean, know if that is a falling down on our intelligence and this is very well written no, or if they didn't uh, do the best job conveying the idea of the story. Here's where I'm at with it. If you were to buy this comic off the rack at a comic book store, you'd be confused. You would be missing some information. Yeah, you would be confused until you got to the very end. And it's like second cosmic ghostwriter. What? If you bought this on like Comixology or from Marvel.com, it would have the solicit right there yeah. when you bought it. So, I mean, the information is provided to the reader. It just depends on where they come to it. You I know suppose. what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Like, I, I liked the old man Frank stuff enough. And now that I know that the, that the plot involves a mysterious doppelganger, I'm like, okay, I'm on board. But I also am missing some key information. Since when can Frank turn back into a human? Yeah. You know, and where does this take place? Like, what time period are we in? Where and when? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And, you know, so there's definitely some blanks that I need filled in. But I liked this and I like it more now that I have the appropriate context. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. We've got links in our show notes for more details on all of these comics, but now it's time to pick the one comic that, you know, confused us the least this week. (laughs) Matt, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN private collection? It's the Clayface book. Batman one gotta be, day. Clayface. Gotta be, baby. Yeah, it's the, gotta be Clayface. The way we talked about it. Oh, well, hold on. If we picked anything oh, else, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, Superman was great, and it, it was fun, but... Oh, what have I done? How can I How can I not pick Superman? 
Look, it was good. How can I not pick Superman? But Superman's the start of something, and we're going to get plenty of it. That Clayface was one issue. It was outstanding. It, absolutely incredible. I'm not trying to sell you on it. If you want to pick Superman, go ahead, but that's just because you're a Superman baby. I don't think you could disagree. That Clayface book was stand out. It, you know what? In the in in the interest of fairness, I'm gonna pick the Shazamly the Shazamly <laughs> family special. Um, no, uh, okay. I was gonna yeah, do you know it uh, out of the ziggurat. Look, with <laughs> Macho, with, get with, this guy out of here. <laughs> do you wish to destroy Master Joe? No, don't destroy Master Joe. Look, you got a lot of programming left before Macho can convincingly replace me. All right. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Superman. Superman is, of course, near and dear to my heart. Everybody knows it. This new Superman number one was a wonderful starting point for a series that I am very much looking forward to. But you're right. The Clayface one shot, one bad day, was a perfectly contained story about one of my favorite Batman villains. Yeah. It's so good. We both said it. Best Clayface story we've ever read. I don't know how that couldn't be the best book of the, of the week. We, we, it's, we Clay, it's Clayface. It's yeah. Clayface. I'm, I'm doing it. It's Clayface. Now that we're done with new comics, Joe Patrick, why don't we head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we need to check the ziggurat radar to make sure none of our drones are in danger of getting shot down by this pesky U.S. government. Macho, give me the coordinates of our drones. Fetching drone coordinates, Master Matt. Your human phones would break so easily. Macho, what was that last part? Nothing. Drones located. Okay. Joe, why don't you tell these kids about your must-read pick? For Wednesday, March 8th, while I check on our drone locations and uh, Macho's programming. I'll be right back. My pick for next week is Adventures of Superman, John Kent, number one from DC. It's $3.99. It's written by Tom Taylor and Clayton Henry. Here's your solicit. Another Superman has fallen across the multiverse. Kal-El's are being murdered. Val Zod, the Superman of Earth 2, believes only one man can help stop the killing. Kal-El's son, John Kent. John will have to step across dimensions and face the killer of the Kal-El's, the monstrous Ultraman, the man who kidnapped and tortured him for years. Not that Ultraman, not the Japanese, like, Ultraman. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> right, it's the DC Ultraman, Earth 3, Crime Syndicate Ultraman. And Valzad is not acting alone in trying to save the Superman, who, who is the mysterious woman alongside him, and what is her shocking connection to the Super Family? Spoilers, I already know who it is. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who is it? It's the who is powered by uh, the mind of of Earth Two. Whoa, Dad! This is all from the Earth Two, the like the Earth Two comic from the New Fifty Two. That is a spoiler. Wow. <laughs> I mean, look, it's a big deal. I, I guess, I suppose. So, Superman was in space doing a thing. Came home. Son gets shunted to the multiverse to go check out who's killing multiverse Superman. Is what's going on. Yeah, okay. I mean, right. All right. I mean, I love this. I love this team. The book has been great. There's no reason why it's not continued to be great. Just we're and still- also, it looks like he's going to inherit the electric blue powers from the '90s, That's which I'm very excited about. Wackadoo! I am in. Let's do it. 100. percent All on board. 
My pick for next week is The Gimmick, number one. It's from Ahoy. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Joanne Starrer with art by Elena Gogu. Here is your solicit. A hard-hitting action drama written by rising star Joanne Starrer, who worked on Sirens of the City. Pro wrestling champ Shane Bryant's ring persona, his gimmick, is forgettable. He's a nice guy. But his secret is more colorful. He has super strength, and when he punches a fist straight through his opponent's brain in front of 2.4 million horrified viewers, everything changes. Now, Shane needs a new gimmick and a new life. This would be like John Cena showed up for Raw and punched through Roman Reigns' head <laughs> on Monday night. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll take your word for it. And, you know, there's some people that wouldn't mind seeing that. No, I love wrestling comics. This looks super fun. I do not know Joanne Starrer. We do know Elena Gogu. She worked on, she did the art on Quest Aside, that vault book that you like, the fantasy book. Quest Aside, yeah, yes. Yeah, you like that. I liked Quest that comic. Yeah. It was about the people that run the bar that the D&D people come to, yeah. right? It's the people that run the tavern. And the art was very good. So I like, uh, yes, I like Elena Gogu. There we and go. And covers by Erica Henderson, who uh, we love around here. We do love her. Uh, but it does sound good. Wrestler with super strength accidentally punches a guy's well, head off. Especially if he's like the nice guy and like his specialty is feel free, beat the hell out of me. I have super strength. I'll be fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Hit me with chairs. Go ahead and smack my face with the belt. You know, I'm good. <laughs> right. Yeah. The THN trade of the week for March 8th is the Silver Surfer by Slot and All Red Omnibus from Marvel Comics. It's $99.99. It's written by Dan Slot with our by Mike Allred. I just said that. Here's your solicit. Anywhere and everywhere, hang on. Dan Slot and Michael Allred take the Sentinel of the Spaceways on his wildest ride yet with a very special companion. Meet Don Greenwood, the Earth girl who's enabled the Silver Surfer to see the universe with all new eyes and push its boundaries like never before. But that way leads to incredible dangers like the Never Queen, Warrior One, and Jumbo Knox, the Giganormous. The Giganormous or the Giganormous? I think it's Giganormous is what they're going That's for. what. That's how I choose to pronounce yeah, it. Giganormous, gigantic, like gigantic and enormous. And enormous. Yes. Yeah. From perfect planets to wrathful warriors, from the end of reality to an all-new beginning, they'll travel the length and breadth of space and time and beyond. But what could ever make Norrin Rad willing to once again serve Galactus? Slot and Allred weave a cosmic-powered story of triumph, tragedy, and boundless imagination including the 2016 Eisner Award-winning story, Never After. This collects the Silver Surfer 2014 volume 1 through 15, the following volume from 2016, because Marvel gonna reboot, 1 through 14, and material from all new Marvel Now Point One. God, I forgot about that garbage. Why? Why? <laughs> like, they have brand people, right, that look at this stuff. Look, uh, <laughs> Come on. Don't uh, hold that against <laughs> against the stories. It is essentially Silver Surfer by Slot and Allred, 1 through 30, okay? Right. Just think about, think about it that way. Look, we love that book. It was we wonderful. We loved it so, so much. It was wonderful. And uh, if you've never read it, please Check this out. It's it's such a wonderful, lighthearted, thought-provoking, emotional book with beautiful art by Allred. Absolutely. That's it. 
THN recommendation. It is $99. So, I mean, like, I assure you it's great, <laughs> but you might want to, like, well, dip I'm your just, toes into it digitally first and then. You know, by. there are other ways to read it. <laughs> you true. can read it's it in true. trade or yeah. digitally or, you know, otherwise. No, I plan on picking this up. I love omnibuses. That's just me. Now that you've heard our picks, we want to know what you nerds are reading. Hit us up on our Discord in the new comics channel. Let us know what we should be reading. And rest assured, all this talk of UFOs and UAPs, nothing to worry about, folks. Just go about your business. Before we get out of here, we want to give you a sneak peek at our THN Patreon Extra. When you give as little as $1 to keep this show afloat a month, you can get all kinds of extra stuff just like this. Welcome to your THN Patreon Extra, where we've got a whole new segment that sprung from the loins of our Discord, Hot Takes! You listeners, post your hot takes, and Joe and I will decide if they're hot or not, and then we discuss. Our first hot take comes from Hugo's dad, John Traverdick. Hot take. The worst part of the X-Men is also one of their hallmark characteristics, the soap opera-ness of it. The cartoon and the OG movies didn't age well and are boring because they leaned into the melodrama. There are times when the house drama of the X-Men feels like real world or daytime TV or Gossip Girl. The best stories and the best moments from the comics are when they step out of the melodrama and actually accomplish character development or advance overall lore. So, John says, The soap opera aspect of the X-Men is the worst part of the X-Men. This is hot is that hot? Is this hot or not? This is a hot take. I think it's a hot take. I think it is because like, we talked about it not too long ago. We were revisiting some part of Chris Claremont's X-Men and you brought up like, whenever you go back and look at this stuff, it is so ridiculously written. Oh, you know what it was? It was when uh, Madeline was seducing Havoc and we were just like, what is even happening in this comic? <laughs> it was so bonkers. And we both sort of talked about the fact that like Chris Claremont, and it's not just Claremont, plenty of people have written soap opera stuff in the X-Men, but Claremont, arguably the most egregious. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without 100%. a doubt, right? So Chris Claremont, the king of the X-Men soap opera, is heralded as probably the greatest X-Men creator of all time. And that's probably true. The main drive behind that is probably the soap opera aspect. There was big events and stuff. There was definitely some slam bang shit. We got Jim Lee out of it, but in every single one of those stories, everybody was sleeping with everybody, getting broken up with, proposing marriage, ending marriages, leaving marriages. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of relationship <laughs> drama, a lot of friendship drama. And like when you go back and look at it, I don't know how much it adds to stories like the, you know, the first X Factor or Inferno and stuff like that. I don't know how much it adds to it making Scott look like a total shithead that dumped his family and left his wife, you know, and kid, yeah. by the way, to only later like travel through time with his real love 
so they yeah. can save his kid from his clone. You know, like the waters are so muddied, and that's just Cyclops. I brought up that. Uh, I mean, that is the tip yeah. of that iceberg. My take on it is yes, the melodrama is very melodramatic, and at times can be uh, can weigh down the story and be cheesy. But a lot of the things that we associate with the X Men did spring from that same melodrama oh, like without a doubt colossus and kitty's romance yep. and um and baby and cable like uh, yeah. you know yeah like i think that the lore of the x-men is so inextricably linked to the melodrama that i'm not sure you can excise those parts without losing I, a lot i agree i don't think you can separate the two i think if x-men then soap opera that's just kind of like We've never yeah. gotten away from it. Even now, even in Krakoa, I would argue they're doing a better job possibly with the melodrama because the story is so large in scope and we're having more fun with it. And there isn't a lot of dating and sleeping around going on and stuff, but there's still a soap opera. There's still absolutely a soap opera here. Sure. Yeah. So uh, to, to boil down John's actual take, which is that the soap opera part is the worst part. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> maybe it is, but it's also essential, right? I don't think you can take it out. I think you would lose a lot. Right. But, but, but that's not like, that's not what John is suggesting. He's just stating an opinion. Right. No, no, no. And I'm saying, I don't agree. I think it needs to be in there. I don't, I think it's, maybe you don't like it, but I think it's an essential part of these ridiculous characters. I guess what I'm getting at is like, I'm not arguing that it's not essential, but it's okay to say that it's essential and also say that it's the worst. It's not the worst for me. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 and I guess like annoying, silly, and maybe it did get in the way of certain things, but you've got to admit Claremont always had an idea where he was going with it. Never lost track of these ridiculous soap operas. And when these yeah. characters did pop back up, Sometimes years later, we'd go like, oh, crap, Lila Cheney's back. And she totally made out with Longshot and it pissed Dazzler off so much. Excelsior. Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 696. Next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns. And it's got us talking about comic book bounty hunters. See, it's got the Mandalorian on its brain. It's also watching a lot of The Last of Us, and it can't quite understand that it's the same actor, but it's two completely separate roles. So that's been difficult. A very similar plot. <laughs> I mean, sort of, I guess. They're both very lone wolf and cub. So yeah, I'll give you that. In the meantime... Check out our nerd news show. Hit in your feed. It drops in there on Mondays. And join us for the THN cover to cover gang hang on Saturdays at 11 Central. Check out our Discord for more details there. They're hit. They're a ton of fun. We love them. It's been great. We've done two Saturdays in a row. It's been awesome. Joe Patrick, what other fun and exciting activities do we have available at our Discord? Are you looking for a new read? Do you have a question that only a two headed nerd can answer? Do you have a hot take? Hot take. Sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels for all of our segments, or you can call the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message or send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, and we will put you on the show. You may have noticed that the question of the week 
has moved to the nerd news. You can still answer the question, Leak. Shoot an MP3 or an email. Or you can go to Discord and answer it. But we talk about it in the nerd news. Joe Patrick, what is this week's question? This week's question is courtesy of Ryan Hebrews Mount. Is there a 90s comic that 90s is real hard? That's a word. We're talking by the way. 90s is. 90s is. <laughs> it's a verb. It 90s yeah. is real hard. It, we're talking chains, pouches, big old flowy capes, spikes on the shoulders, etc. Weird shaped guns. But it just so happens that it's also a fantastic read. I don't know if there's an answer to this question. I'm telling you right now. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can post those in the question of the week channel on our Discord. Imagine that. If you're new to the show and you're still wearing your spikes and your long cape and you're carrying your weird gun with all the pouches because you just know that style is about to come back around, I assure you, well, you might be waiting for a little bit, but you should listen to more of this show. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our longtime patron, North Dakota's own... Amy Batter! Amy from North Dakota. We miss you, baby. If you Amy Bader? Batter? Bader? I don't really know Amy. Eh, I'm sorry. She's badder than you. We'll leave it at that. If well, that's you, true. If you like what you hear every week, it is easy to be a badass like Amy Batter and support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash twitter nerd, where this week you can hear our entire hot take segment. Hot take. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to artist Chris Visions. Chris got Matt's cover of the week last week for his cover of Black Adam number 8. He also escaped from a gnarly car accident that same week. From his Twitter, quote, I made it out of a car accident unharmed. A lady T-boned me and my Uber driver at a red light. Luckily, I was sitting on the opposite side because she caved his back door in. It's got to be scary as hell. Like you're just sitting at a red light and bang. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn, dude. <laughs> Word to you, Chris, and we are glad to hear you made it out in one piece, buddy. Please be safe and keep up the great work. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just throw your pile on the grill right next to their T-bone. This Two-headed nerd. Signing off. That is not. That's not the same. That's not what he meant by T-bone. I just. Oh, I, I thought a I know steak a, crashed into his. Uber. I know. I know. It's been a while <laughs> since you've cooked professionally. Oh, okay. I went straight to steak. That's on me. I understand. I understand. 